This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. You know, I'm all in uh, to reelect people who got things done. That's what this country needs. We need to remember that we can get good stuff done and that we are by far the best positioned country for the 21st century to continue to lead and make a difference. And we just got to get the naysayers and the whiners and the snipers, uh, you know, to just go to the back of the room because they're not helping at all. You just heard failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton scold the whiners and the naysayers for daring to vocalize concerns about Joe Biden. Now, we're going to watch more of that clip in a moment so you can see what kind of a case she's making for Biden. But in general, you can expect to see a lot more from Hillary Clinton lately because for some reason, the Biden administration has chosen to trot out her dusty ass to help him win his reelection effort. Oh, goody. NBC News reports the former secretary of state is emerging as a key player in his reelection campaign. And I think that Mehdi Hassan put it best. Ah, yes. When you're a Democrat struggling to beat Donald Trump, you call for help from checks notes. The last Democrat to lose to Donald Trump. Exactly. And I'm so sure I'm very confident that the more that voters see of Hillary Clinton, the more they're going to like Democrats for sure. That's definitely going to happen. Now, whenever the Democratic Party senses that a corporate Democrat is in danger of losing an election, they call on the Clintons to save them. For example, Hillary Clinton endorsed Elliot Engel over Jamal Bowman. She also endorsed Chantel Brown over Nina Turner, and Bill Clinton made robocalls for corrupt conservative Democrat Henry Cuellar last November. So the fact that Biden's campaign is enlisting Hillary Clinton, of all people, is a sign that they're actually worried. And they should be. Poll after poll confirms that Trump is ahead of Biden in hypothetical matchups, and he's even behind in key swing states as well. A CNN poll finds that he's 10 points behind Trump in Michigan. And this poll comes after we learned that his support from Arab Americans dropped 59% to 17%, according to an Arab American Institute poll. And the person he's now calling on to help him to defeat Trump is the person who couldn't defeat Trump herself, in part because she lost the key swing states that he's now losing in also. And it's just bizarre to me that anyone would ask Hillary Clinton for advice on how to win elections when she ran one of the worst campaigns in modern history. I mean, the general election was a catastrophe. But if you go back to even before that, during the Republican primary, she propped up Donald Trump because she thought that he would be easier to beat in the general. And we all see how that turned out. And now he's asking the person who gave us Trump how we can defeat Trump. I mean, she didn't even bother to take the Rust Belt seriously. She gave progressives the middle finger and she expected voters to flock to her specifically because Donald Trump was so detestable. But that didn't work. And now Biden, for some reason, is crossing his fingers and hoping that negative partisanship will somehow work this time. We already learned that that's not going to work. So why would you do that strategy and then call on Hillary Clinton of all people to try to help you win? It's just 
it feels like the Biden administration is genuinely trying to lose. Like he doesn't want to hurt his ego and not run for a second term. So he'd rather lose than just like step aside. It's just, it's maddening. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Every single person who's part of Biden's campaign should just be fired at this point. They're all terrible. But I mean, it's so infuriating to even entertain this idea that Biden doesn't know why he's so unpopular. It's not like he's scratching his head wondering why all of a sudden he's polling so poorly because we know exactly why we're in this predicament where he seems poised to lose to Donald Trump. This isn't rocket science. He's doing a genocide. That is specifically why he's losing. But therein lies the main reason why he's enlisting the help of Hillary Clinton. NBC News reports, Clinton published an op-ed in The Atlantic that forcefully made the case for Biden's approach to the Israel-Hamas war, putting her credibility on the line as progressives demanded a ceasefire. It's not just progressives, it's the majority of the country. But anyways, and two weeks before that, at a Columbia University panel on the anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Clinton shut down a heckler who asked her to comment on Biden's warmongering. They later add, as a former Secretary of State, she has the bona fides to provide Biden with the measure of political cover amid a war in the Middle East that has split the Democratic Party. Biden and Clinton have not always been close. She elbowed him out of running in 2016, but the president is thirsty for allies right now. His approval numbers are at an all-time low, and he is running neck and neck with the Republican frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, who is under indictment in four separate cases. And it should not be lost on anyone that any Democrat would have such a difficult time defeating someone who is facing 91 criminal charges. Like, if you can't beat that person, then the problem is you. And in this instance, Biden knows that the problem is him. He knows that his support of genocide is unpopular. But rather than just stopping and doing the right thing, he is choosing to have someone else tell us to shut the fuck up about it on his behalf so he doesn't look more like a bad guy than he already does. But I mean, it's too late for that. And he is continuing to dig his heels in as he hemorrhages support. And then he wonders why people aren't supporting him, why they're not enthusiastic to get behind him after all of the terrible atrocities that he's part of. The U.S. vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution in support of a ceasefire and the release of all hostages, which comes after the Biden administration bypassed Congress to provide Israel with tank shells that will undoubtedly be used to slaughter even more civilians, which is a reasonable expectation considering the fact that civilians make up 61% of casualties. They're not even trying. And to make matters worse, the U.S. continues to play dumb when it comes to Israel's war crimes and has the audacity to feign concern over reports suggesting that Israel is using white phosphorus after we literally supplied them with the white phosphorus that we're concerned that they may be using. Those are U.S.-made white phosphorus smoke bombs that were manufactured at a plant in Louisiana. So the U.S. isn't just enabling Israel's war crimes. We are fully complicit here. Our tax dollars are paying for the bombs that we are dropping on children in Gaza. Biden is a willing participant in the ethnic cleansing and indiscriminate slaughter of Gazans. And if we actually respected international law in this world, Benjamin Netanyahu would be tried at The Hague for committing crimes against humanity. And guess what? Biden would be right there with him being tried as an accomplice. 
But when you're the global hegemon, you can do anything. You can get away with anything. You can even get away with murder, literally. But you can't escape the backlash from your own country when you live in a democracy. And that's what Biden is currently experiencing right now. No amount of negative partisanship or condescension from Hillary fucking Clinton is going to galvanize voters to support a genocidal president. That's just not going to happen. They've made that very clear. They're telling you what they want, and you're not listening to them. Therefore, you are losing support. Cause meets effect. It's that simple. And there are only two options for Biden at this point. He can either stop the genocide and maybe still win, or he can keep doing the genocide and definitely lose. But at this point, Biden is opting for the latter option, which is devastating. That's his choice. That's what he's choosing. We have no say in a democracy even though most Democrats want a ceasefire, even though a majority of the country wants a ceasefire, Biden is telling us no and still expecting to win this next election. And now he's wondering why he's going down in the polls. God, it's such a fucking mystery. Unbelievable. Now, let's go back to Hillary Clinton and that interview on Morning Joe, because she is going to make the case for Biden while completely sidestepping his genocide issue entirely. So let's listen. Um, from your experience, which you've had many viewpoints, um, of effective presidency and, and building teams as a first lady, as a member of the Senate, as a secretary of state, as a presidential candidate, you know, putting together a team and an administration doesn't come easily and isn't magic. Um, and it, it's definitely not an argument that President Biden has had an effective presidency, that he has gotten things done, whether or not people agree with his policies. Do you think the questions about his age are legitimate? Well, the question's legitimate, but the conclusion that people draw is, I think, off base. Uh, look, I am supporting President Biden and Vice President Harris because of what they've gotten accomplished. I'm kind of old fashioned that way. I like to see people, you know, as I said, tackle big problems, bring people together and try to forge solutions. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm kind of happy that we're fixing our bridges and our roads and the rest of our infrastructure. And I'm thrilled that we are going to compete with China on advanced manufacturing and that we're going to make the transition to clean energy uh, as quickly as we possibly can, plus bring down drug prices. And I could go on and on. So when people say to me, well, he's old. Yeah, that's right. But look at what he's gotten done. And then, if that's not enough for you, look at the alternative. A wrecking crew, people who, as Mitt Romney said, do not even believe in our Constitution, who don't want to solve problems, who only want to engage in meaningless, endless partisan sniping and uh, insulting. So, literally, for me, um, when I look at what's been accomplished with the team that was put together, uh, I am very impressed. Oh, are you now? Well, I guess that settles it, everybody. The person who all of us fucking hate is impressed by Biden. So you better shut the fuck up about his weaknesses. Don't say anything. Just shut up and vote for him. Don't vocalize even any criticism. Otherwise, you support Donald Trump. Listen, I'm not going to deny the danger that Trump poses because he absolutely would be a catastrophe. But saying Trump bad over and over again is a demonstrable electoral failure. Hillary Clinton, of all people, should know this. But that's how she's making the case for Biden. Well, if you're not impressed by his accomplishments, just look at the alternative. You tried this. It didn't work. It's like Biden is trying to lose.
Jesus Christ. What do you even say to that? They're so out of touch, so tone deaf, so resistant to just doing the bare fucking minimum to appease their base. I hate them so much. But listen, Biden knows what he needs to do. Or should I say he knows what he needs to stop doing to try to salvage this election before it's too late. If he does not do that, this loss will be his fault and his fault alone, not the fault of voters. You don't get to blame disillusioned voters. You don't get to blame Arab Americans. You don't get to blame young people. You don't get to blame third-party voters because if they are telling you a year away from the election what they want and you refuse to listen to them, you are the one who fucked up, not voters. So get it together before you lose to Trump, you fucking idiots. You know, I never imagined we'd be in this position. I never imagined I would ever want or need an abortion. And I, I think by sharing this story, you know, you can imagine, you know, the women that you love in your life and, you know, imagine they're pregnant and so happy and looking forward to the baby and they find out that she will not survive. She'll either die in my belly or I'll carry her to term and have to deliver her stillborn. Or if she arrives into this world, you know, her life will be measured in minutes or hours or days and plagued with medical devices. Um, she would need to be placed directly onto hospice. So imagine receiving that news and pairing that with the risks and complications of continuing the pregnancy and the childbirth. It's, it's overwhelming. So I wanted to share my story because I never would have thought of it before it happened to me. And so I just, you know, want people to hear it. You just heard from Kate Cox. She's a 31-year-old mother of two and a Texas woman who was forced to leave her own state all so she can receive the life-saving health care that she needs. Now, in this instance, that health care in question is abortion. But because of her state's laws and specifically her state's attorney general, now she is unable to get that care. And she was forced to leave. Now, the shocking details of the story make it crystal clear that Republicans could not care less about life. The Dallas Morning News reports Kate Cox, 31, sued the state earlier this week for access to an abortion after receiving a fatal fetal diagnosis that doctors say could risk her health or future fertility. Travis County District Court Judge Maya Guerra Gamble granted a temporary restraining order allowing the abortion under the medical exemption clause of Texas's abortion bans. Before filing the suit with the state, Cox experienced severe cramping and unidentifiable fluid leaks that sent her to the emergency room multiple times. Doctors diagnosed diagnosed her baby with full trisomy 18, also known as Edwards syndrome, which makes it highly unlikely the baby will survive long after birth if it's not stillborn. The lawsuit alleges that Cox is at risk for severe complications that could threaten her life or fertility given her two prior cesarean sections and elevated vital signs. Now, in an op-ed she wrote for the Dallas Morning News, she said this about her lawsuit, quote, I do not want to continue the pain and suffering that has plagued this pregnancy or continue to put my body or my mental health through the risks of continuing this pregnancy. I do not want my baby to arrive in this world only to watch her suffer. I need to end my pregnancy now so that I have the best chance for my health, for parenting my children, and for a future pregnancy. With help from the center, I am asking the Texas courts to grant me a temporary restraining order saying that my situation falls under the exception to the state's abortion bans, not because my pregnancy is exceptional, just because this is life. It's my decision. Now, the fact that she has to 
ask permission to obtain basic health care is absurd to me. This is an adult woman who is more than capable of making these deeply personal decisions on her own with her family and between her and her husband and her doctor. They don't need politicians or laws to determine whether or not she qualifies. But still, under Texas's draconian abortion bans, she supposedly meets the criteria for exceptions. So if a person's life is in danger or if major impairment of bodily functions is likely as a result of the pregnancy, well, then you can terminate the pregnancy. That's what the exception states. So she meets that criteria. The pregnancy is non-viable and it threatens her life and could prevent her from having children in the future, which is something she wants to do. And after suing, a district court judge approved her request for an abortion because obviously she meets the criteria for these exceptions. The Daily Beast explains a judge had sided with Cox on Thursday, issuing a temporary restraining order against the enforcement of the ban in this case. Quote, the idea that Miss Cox wants desperately to be pregnant and this law might actually cause her to lose that ability is shocking and would be a genuine miscarriage of justice, the judge said in explaining her decision, referring to warnings from Cox's doctors that the doomed pregnancy could affect her future for so she applied for the abortion exception and she got one that's the end of the story right actually no the republican attorney general in texas ken paxton decided to personally intervene to stop her from getting the health care that she needs so his office released this statement warning that the district court judge's decision does not actually insulate her gynecologist or the hospitals involved from legal culpability if they give her an abortion. And he sent a letter to multiple hospitals that all could be potentially performing the procedure, letting them know that if they do this, he's coming after them if they allow this to happen. And guess what? He won. This one man used his power to intervene and stop this one woman from getting the health care that she needs to save her life. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous to me. The fact that he would be shameless enough to do this after purporting to be pro-life tells you so much about him, right? But the fact that we have a political system, a legal system that allows one man to intervene in this very personal health care decision shows you how flawed this system is. The Daily Beast explains, the Texas Supreme Court has temporarily blocked a woman from receiving an abortion after a lower court ruled that she could get the procedure in order to protect her own health. The late Friday ruling came just hours after Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton asked the state's Supreme Court to step in and reverse the decision made in favor of 31-year-old Kate Cox, who had sued for the right to terminate a non-viable pregnancy. Paxton's office, in a filing with the state Supreme Court on Friday, Stress the importance of the fetus's life despite a fatal diagnosis. Quote, each hour it remains in place is an hour that plaintiffs believe themselves free to perform and procure an elective abortion, Paxton's office wrote. Nothing can restore the unborn child's life that will be lost as a result. Just stop for a moment and try to comprehend how monstrous this is. Ken Paxton is saying, I, somebody not involved... This is none of my business, but I personally demand that this woman risk her life and health all to deliver this baby so she can watch it die a slow and painful death. Why? Because I'm pro-life. It is genuinely sickening. I don't even know what to say about this. Now, this is not the decision that Kate wants to make. So the question is, what is she supposed to do? Well, as I stated earlier, she now has to leave her own state because her attorney general 
says no after she even had to ask for permission to get this abortion, which she is entitled to since she meets the exceptions. And also, I think she is the uh, the guardian of her own fucking body. This is so ridiculous to me. Now, the Center for Reproductive Rights, who's representing her, writes this on Twitter. After a week of legal whiplash and threats of prosecution from Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, our client, Kate Cox, has been forced to flee her home state of Texas to get the time-sensitive abortion care needed to protect her child and future fertility. They add, this past week of legal limbo has been hellish for Kate. Her health is on the line. She's been in and out of the emergency room, and she couldn't wait any longer. This is why judges and politicians should not be making healthcare decisions for pregnant people. This is a quote from Nancy Northup. She continues, this is the result of the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade. Women are forced to beg for urgent healthcare in court. Kate's case has shown the world that abortion bans are dangerous for pregnant people and exceptions don't work. Kate desperately wanted to be able to get care where she lives and recover at home surrounded by family. While Kate had the ability to leave the state, most people do not, and a situation like this could be a death sentence. Jesus, what an absolute disaster. Now, if you're wondering why Texas even bothers to have these exceptions in the first place, if they're still just going to intervene and force these births, well, the answer is they have them for optics to make them look better, to make it seem as if they're less monstrous than they actually are. Most of these exceptions in states are insufficient, if not all of them, and doctors are still afraid to perform abortions even if their patients meet that criteria because... They don't know if that's still going to shield them from legal culpability. And this case validates that fear that these doctors have, right? But Republicans have these exceptions on the books so they don't look like monsters. But this should tell you everything you need to know about the usefulness of these so-called exceptions. Now, we're going to hear more from Kate's attorney who makes it very clear why Ken Paxton is doing this. It's not out of some moral obligation to protect the life of this unborn fetus. It is so that way they can just punish women. Cruelty is the point. Let's listen. The cruelty here is the point and, and making it terrifying for Ms. Cox, for her husband, for her doctor to be able to proceed in the way that is safest and best for her healthcare and her family. It's exactly what Ken Paxton is trying to do. And I, as an attorney, am appalled at what has happened today. Um, I am so thankful that Ms. Cox is, is so brave and so optimistic because it is a hard time to be a lawyer when you feel like you can do your absolute best for your client, you can get the result that is just and is right, and yet still face what we are talking about here is life in prison, loss of medical license, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, both for the physician. And for Ms. Cox's husband, who just wants to help his wife get the health care that she needs so that they can continue to build the family that they want. And I, I am shocked, but I am not surprised. Ms. Twain, as you know, there are a number of legal cases unfolding around abortion access. Are there wider implications for this ruling? Well, this ruling today was just about Ms. Cox and whether or not she can get the health care that she needs to preserve her life and her fertility in her home community. But obviously these, these fights are playing out nationwide. And what I really want people to understand is that in the 14 states where abortion is now entirely prohibited and states like Florida and Arizona that have gestational bans that some people would call a compromise, but clearly are not as they would affect Ms. Cox's care as well. 
there are no exceptions under those bans. Because if Ms. Cox doesn't fall within the exception, then what does the exception even mean? And so I just want people to really understand just how damaging abortion bans are and to see themselves in Ms. Cox and her and her family, because this could happen to anyone. And my position as a citizen, as a lawyer, and as a human being is that each individual's grieving process should be their own to decide. And when it comes to health care, I don't want politicians in my state or anywhere else dictating what care I can get. Yeah, exactly. Everything she said there was spot on. But the main thing that I want you to take away from what you just watched was what she said about these so-called exceptions. She said there are no exceptions under those bans because if Miss Cox doesn't fall within the exception, then what does the exception even mean? Yeah, bingo. We've had countless stories of women having to wait until they get infections before their doctors feel safe enough to perform these abortions that the state law says they are allowed to have. The first case after Roe v. Wade was overturned, or one of the first cases, I should say, involved a 10-year-old rape victim who literally had to travel across state lines just to get an abortion. And the irony is that all of this unnecessary pain and suffering is being inflicted on people by Republicans who call themselves pro-life. It's like a sick twisted joke or something. So, I mean, I think this goes without saying, but obviously we need to bring back Roe v. Wade as soon as possible. And if that means packing the Supreme Court, then so be it. Because any law that subjects citizens to this level of cruelty is not legitimate. It's a very dark, evil force. Um, and I truly hope people know how to battle that. Shelly Flockhart from Dallas Center says she was shocked to see it at the Capitol. Okay, come on in. Flockhart organized a prayer group on Wednesday around the Christmas tree in the center of the rotunda to oppose the satanic display near the stairwell. She calls it dark and evil and says Christians should spiritually fight against it. One, I hope people realize spiritual warfare is real, that there are evil, satanic um, forces that are trying to infiltrate our state. Once again, American evangelicals are learning that religious freedom doesn't just apply to them. And after the satanic temple in Iowa was given permission to exercise their religious liberty by putting up their own holiday display at the state capitol, predictably, mass hysteria ensued. And many Iowan evangelicals are outraged that the Republican governor is not doing enough about this satanic display. For example, Brad Sherman, a Republican lawmaker in Iowa, called for Governor Kim Reynolds to remove the display and even introduce introduced legislation prohibiting the display, but Kim Reynolds resisted that call and released a statement condemning the display as absolutely objectionable, but ultimately chalked it up to a free speech issue, which enraged her right-wing constituents who called her response milk toast. That's not how you spell that, by the way, and not good enough. Others responded saying, a bad interpretation of the First Amendment doesn't supersede our duties and your duties as a civil magistrate to God. And another person chimed in saying, that is at best a disappointing response. Any authority granted to the governor or any other elected officials come from where and to do what? This display is designed to do one thing. Mock the creator who grants that authority. It should be burned on the Capitol steps. Now, despite the criticism, Kim Reynolds did not capitulate, but in her first statement, as you might have saw, she did encourage people to join her at the Capitol for a mass prayer event. And she tweeted about this, referencing, while not naming the satanic 
public display, writing, free speech is a right afforded to all, but how we use it matters. Today's event is proof that in the battle between good and evil, good will always prevail. But of course, people were still angry. But before we get to some more responses, it is important to know why that display deserves to be there. Solon explains, see, the Supreme Court long ago created a loophole in the First Amendment to allow religious displays by arguing that as long as every group gets to have one, it doesn't violate the no establishment of religion clause. By putting up altars to Satan next to the annual nativity scenes, the Satanic Temple makes their point about the silliness of this loophole. More important, however, is the trolling part. Every year, Christian conservatives discover the Satanic display and have a loud public temper tantrum about it. In this, Satanists prove their point. Conservatives claim to respect religious plurality, but it's a lie. The overt religious iconography on government property was always about promoting the Christian nationalist view that theirs is the only real American religion. And that right there is exactly it. So you can either have no religious displays at all on public property, or you can allow all religions to have their own displays, but you don't get to play favorites. You can't have your cake and eat it too, because if you just allow one religion to be on public property, that's unconstitutional. It violates the First Amendment. But since conservatives are constitutionally illiterate, they can't understand why the Republican governor isn't just overriding the Constitution and taking it down. And because she's not doing that, it's turned into an all-out scandal for Republican Governor Kim Reynolds. Conservative news outlet The Post Millennial reports that Kim Reynolds is under fire over the satanic display. And the same Republican lawmaker who introduced the bill to ban it is accusing her of being wrong about the legality of it. But she's right, and he's actually wrong. But him pretending as if she can or should do something is 50% cope and 50% pandering to his evangelical base. I think that he's probably jockeying for like higher office here saying, look, she just let the Satanism persist, but I would do something about it. Well, no, you couldn't do anything about it either because that's what the Constitution allows. The only thing you could do is take down all religious displays, including the Christian ones, but you don't want to do that. So you just have to shut the fuck up about it. But I mean, despite this being perfectly legal, obviously so, it hasn't stopped Christian conservatives in the state from shitting themselves and having non-stop temper tantrums. For example, this MAGA account on Twitter called it a mockery of our savior, Jesus Christ's birthday, and pointed out that the state of Iowa allowed it because the Satanists, quote, followed the rules. Yeah, that's pretty much how that works. But let's watch the clip that he shared because at the end, you'll see why he's so triggered. And you know, over the weekend, the Satanic Temple of Iowa came in, put up their display. A spokesperson for the Iowa Department of Administrative Services said there's a procedure to apply for uh, a lot, getting to have your display there, and they followed that and met the uh, go guidelines for that. But this display is located near the east door by the stairs on the first floor. Now, today, members of the Satanic Temple of Iowa were on hand with the display. They declined to do an interview. They said, told me to refer to the Satanic Temple website. And on that national site, the main issues they are promoting are abortion as a religious right and establishing after-school Satan clubs. I'm sure that's going to go over well. Now, the co-founder of the Satanic Temple responded to Backlash, and his response was perfectly reasonable. We're going to really relish the opportunity to be represented in a public forum. We don't have a church on every street corner. Lucian Greaves, co-founder of the Satanic Temple, says this satanic display is a symbol for their right of religious freedom. He says if you don't like it, don't look at it. My feeling is, is that if people don't like our displays in public forums, they don't have to engage with them. Yeah. 
It's really that simple. And here's the thing. If you actually look at the display itself, nothing that it's promoting is objectionable. And we know this because conservative journalist Libby Emmons of the Post Millennial filmed the display and it advocates for compassion and empathy as well as justice and individual liberty and science and rectifying one's mistakes for purposes of harm reduction. There is literally nothing objectionable here, but Christian conservatives are just too triggered by the Baphomet statue to even consider the objectively good values that the Satanic Temple is promoting. And I say this because the responses to that video indicate that that is indeed the case. Quote, this is spitting in the face of Christian values during the month of Christmas, if at all the times, pure evil. Fuck that, smash it. False, since the entire religion was established as a hate group against Christian believers. It's a hate crime, and people need to file charges against the state for engaging in religious intimidation and hate. Very, very normal reaction here. This was put up during Advent as a mockery of Christianity. This isn't an established religion with a robust history around which our culture was built, and it shouldn't be given the same protections as one. Now, that's not the totality of responses. Many atheists also joined in to troll the butthurt Christians, but there's no shortage of outrage over this statue if you decide to look. You're just seeing like a small snapshot. But I do want to give credit to one Republican lawmaker in Iowa, Representative John Dunwell, who also happens to be a pastor because he released a really thoughtful and lengthy response following the outrage, explaining how this organization got legal permission in the first place to erect their own holiday display, and also explaining that even though he personally finds the display objectionable and antithetical to his worldview as a Christian, he's guided by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and thus can't support its removal. And he also adds, it's just an inanimate object with no real power. Therefore, Christians have no reason to be fearful of it. Now, listen, him and I probably disagree on everything, but him and I having opposing views but maintaining that mutual respect for each of us to practice or not practice what we want or don't want to makes living in a pluralistic society possible. It's called freedom. So as an anti-theist, even though I disagree with him and his religion, I respect his principled statement here in support of the statue. But after releasing this well-reasoned and thoughtful statement, go ahead and take a guess as to how evangelicals responded. Well, of course, they ripped him a new asshole. This person responded saying, I am literally not reading any of that, but to give quarter to enemies of God is pathetic and contemptible. Now, he tried to reason with this person with another long and thoughtful response, only to get this response in return. When you stand before the seat of judgment, are you going to serve our Lord that word salad? And he just responded by saying, saved by grace. <laughs> Now, this person responded to the original post saying, hmm, all these Christians are saying I'm wrong. Clearly, they're incorrect, which is a bit of a rip on the principal Skinner meme from The Simpsons. Uh, he responded to that saying the path of Christ is a narrow path rejected by most. Another one here. Satanism is not another religion to give credence to. It is the worship of evil per se. To put it on the level of other religions is a mockery of every religion to ever exist. Everyone should be offended by this. His response I don't want government empowered to make those decisions. Some more responses here. The more words you use to justify a position merely weakens your position. Coward, Jesus himself would have destroyed it just as he did in the temple and threw everyone out. One nation under God, the people who wrote that would not have said, but we are cool with Satan hanging out here too because let's be inclusive. Oh my, that moment when you wake up one morning and realize you've literally become Satan's defense attorney. Got him. And last but not least, you're a big old cuck. <laughs>
Yeah, so there you have it. Now, let this be a lesson to uh, everyone. There is no reasoning with Christian supremacists, especially when their emotions are overriding what little logic exists in their tiny brains. And I've learned this the hard way with uh, family. It's just the lost cause. They're operating on an entirely different plane of reality than everyone else. So engaging with them is as useful as engaging with a brick wall. You'll get nowhere. They're just incapable of learning. So it's best to just not even try to convince them because it's it's not going to work. They have to at least have that initiative to want to change. But when they're triggered like this, you're not going to get through to them. But I do have to give them credit for being absolutely fucking hilarious. Unintentionally so, but hilarious nonetheless. So uh, yeah, with that being said, hail Satan and uh, happy holidays, everyone. And I feel as if she's being forced upon our culture, like it's this Taylor Swift yes. co colonizing yes. effort. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. She's a narcissist. I don't think that she's very talented. Here, she's just, nasty. No, she's was, ugly. I, 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 nobody really, likes her. She does, does nobody nobody likes her. She's like a teenage boy. Morning after like, this dudes don't like her. No. Like, if you put her in front <laughs> of, like, she's ugly. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Is, does Taylor Swift have any eggs left? Very normal. He just, he just asked, does Taylor Swift have any eggs left? Bro, what is wrong with you? Who thinks about these kind of things? And I'm sorry, she's ugly. She looks like a teenage boy. What is wrong with these conservatives? Holy shit. I don't even know how to process this. Just demented genuinely demented so that was a clip from an october episode of charlie kirk and jack posobiak's thought crime podcast that was shared by the midas touch network and that bizarre taylor swift rant went on for a very long time in fact the midas touch estimates that it lasted for nearly 25 fucking minutes now if taylor swift isn't your cup of tea that's fine. She's not above criticism. I personally like Taylor Swift, but the way that they're criticizing her is not reasonable. It's creepy. It's downright explicitly misogynistic, and uh, I don't even know how to process what we just watched, but there's more of it. So we're going to watch about three minutes of it, and as you're going to see, it's going to become clear why they hate her so much. Uh, her body count will have a museum and galleria dedicated to it at the end of her career. I would take free Britney, crazy free Britney, over liar Taylor Swift, who sets up her whole life where she's not like a real person. And she's leading an army of women over a cliff against all of us. See, I totally understand her. She understands me. I love Taylor Swift. She and her does music. it. She makes money off of you. She she does she make an, hates you. She makes. She doesn't dress well at all. I mean, she dresses like super revealing. What what is virtuous about her for young women to glean? Like date as many men as possible, complain all the time, ruin men's lives. She's not, she hasn't started a family. She's yeah, in her I mean, mid thirties. No kids. Like it's a she terrible role model. Three up. If you, young women start dressing sluttier because of Taylor Swift, which makes their life miserable. Like when women dress like this, I don't, I don't know if a hundred percent, I'm telling you, it's like, I don't under, like, why are you dressing like that? Taylor Swift? I think it's worse. You're dressed like a stripper. That's not the issue. The issue with Taylor Swift is that she makes women hate every, everyone, like literally everything and everyone, like all of her, like the, the empowerment thing against the audience. You go to one of her concerts. It's not like a family friendly it's a it's a strictly w female You're trying to get a cult cult yeah it's a cult that's what it is there's no men that really enjoy taylor swift 
They just don't. Men fake enjoying Taylor Swift in There's order no to impress women. That's correct. Taylor Swift is a l- major reason why so many women are angry in America. There's more women that enjoy yes. the Chicago Bears game than yes, men that enjoy no Taylor Swift. Redemption. She's a bad role model. She's not a good person. She's a bad icon. Games. Let's also remind you, her politics Big are time. cancerous. Her politics are poison. She doesn't do the stuff that a political true believer yeah, but would she really just do. Did something. She got she is, four million girls registered in like twenty four hours. Yeah, you see that? She but broke the website. That's the thing. It's so easy She's for her to do that. The she just there. You have the biggest. Hey, I would respect her. But she, so she's not leading people to God. She's leaving them the wokeism, complaining on boyfriends, man hating, and she used to be a Christian. AZ says, "I don't moments. think Taylor is a Christian anymore. She grew up on a Christmas tea farm, tree farm. Yeah, I rest my case. Someone who like turns away from the faith and like pursues money, fame, and approval of the world. It, it, Good luck in eternity, Taylor. It's over under. How long until?" Uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are no more. Over under, Blake. Like until they're dead? I, I can see their suicide no, pact no, taking no, effect. No, not that one. Not oh. when the mRNA gene altering shot makes Travis Kelsey drop in the middle of practice. That one's I'm, way more fun. I'm talking about when will they no longer be together? I don't think they're together now. I think this is all a psyop. What, what's the goal of the psyop? World totally domination. agree, Blake. Do you, you agree, Jake, totally agree Jack? That, that, that just to make yeah. money? I, mean, I think she's, an, I mean, she's very alien esque. I mean, just look at how she functions. <laughs> I apologize for the amount of brain cells you lost by enduring that idiocy. Like, I'm speechless, honestly. As a political commentator myself, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. I mean, they talked about her being bitter. That's a little bit of projection. Her body count. Uh, How about you just mind your own business and shut the fuck up? How about that? Why do you feel entitled to know her body count? Mind your own business. Now, two of them think that her relationship with Travis Kelsey is a psyop, and even Charlie Kirk, perhaps the dumbest one there, didn't even seem convinced because it begs the question, what is the point of the psyop in this instance? What agenda does that serve? Why would they pretend to date each other for some reason? These people are so stupid. Holy shit. Goddamn. Like, they look like a bunch of angry, sexually frustrated incels, and... This is why people hate conservatives. I'm sorry. (laughs) I still can't get over the first part. Does Taylor Swift even have any eggs? Bro, you are a fucking freak show. Now, Charlie Kirk in that clip explained his real beef with with Taylor Swift. So he says that she got 4 million girls registered to vote in 24 hours. She's going to destroy our country. There it is. Right there. It always comes back to politics. It's not just that she's culturally influential, which scares them, but that cultural influence comes with political influence, and her wielding it is what really scares them, because if she actually chose to get more directly involved in politics, she could actually make a significant difference, especially in swing states, for example. Now, that clip was from October, but conservatives' creepy obsession with Taylor Swift hasn't stopped since then. And as the New Republic reports, conservatives are once again being very weird about Taylor Swift, and this comes after she was named Person of the Year by Time magazine. And they point to numerous examples of this. Jack Posobiec, who was part of that podcast, again, bashing Taylor Swift, saying, the Taylor Swift girl boss, Cy op has been fully activated from her hand-selected vaccine shill boyfriend to her dink lifestyle which for those who don't know stands for dual income no kids i had to look that up uh, to her upcoming 2024 voter operation for democrats on abortion rights it's all coming 
He adds, here is Taylor Swift, a Northeasterner from Pennsylvania, pretending to cry and attacking Republicans, claiming they don't stand for Tennessee Christian values. The day the op was born. Now, white supremacist Stephen Miller also chimed in, saying what's happening with Taylor Swift is not organic. Notice how literally everything has to be a conspiracy theory to conservatives. It can't just be that they don't like her and they leave it at that. There has to be some additional layer there where she's actually an op for some specific political reason, and this is all nefarious. Her being popular is some nefarious plot by Democrats. It all amounts to them coping and seething about the fact that conservative celebrities just don't have the cultural clout or relevance that liberal and progressive celebrities do. And they hate this because it makes them feel not only left out, but it also is a missed opportunity because they probably would love to weaponize the clout of someone like Taylor Swift or Beyonce. But they can't because no celebrity is even close to that level of cultural influence. I mean, who do they have? The guy who played Superman and Lois and Clark? And Hercules, I forgot his name, the Dilbert creator, like that's their celebrities. Now, Trump's attorney, Jeffrey Clark, basically admitted this. This is what happens when we cede culture to the left. Brainless youth raising themselves on Taylor Swift's saccharine bland music and that washing over into the serious world of politics. If we reach the point where Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Taylor Swift run for office together, we will truly have reached full-on idiocracy where Mike Judge imagined President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho. My brother in Christ, you support Donald Trump. Idiocracy was about you. Mike Judge literally said that Trump makes idiocracy look optimistic and also argued that Trump actually makes President Camacho look pleasant in comparison. So they are thirsty for cultural relevance, but they have none because they are hateful and bitter, and that toxicity isn't going to make them likable right? It's why we all dread Thanksgivings because our conservative uncles say the same shit that they were saying in that clip. Who wants to be around that, right? Nobody wants to deal with that. It's why we don't like you. It's why you don't have this influence culturally and socially. But this conservative animosity towards Taylor Swift represents a broader issue with conservative men in general that I think in part contributes to this loneliness phenomenon that they in particular are experiencing. And rather than instilling good values into their listeners, Charlie Kirk and his ilk are instead cultivating misogynistic attitudes towards women among his younger male audience. And that sexism is a huge turnoff to most women, which then makes them less dateable and subsequently compounds the issue of loneliness. And this isn't conjecture. Data actually shows that young conservative men in particular are struggling on the dating scene because liberal women don't want to date them. And this Washington Post editorial suggests that this political mismatch will actually threaten the institution of marriage itself if women don't drop this standard. But as the salon response to that op-ed points out, it is wrong to suggest that women are the ones in the wrong here. They're not wrong for having higher standards. Conservatives are wrong for being toxic and sexist. Amanda Marcotte argues the op-ed presents as if this entreaty to date across party lines, as if it's generalized advice being offered to both men and women and both Republicans and Democrats. But of course, it's aimed primarily, if not exclusively, at Democratic voting women. The polling data shows that most Republicans are already willing to date Democrats, which makes sense since Democrats make more attractive partners. It's mostly Democrats and mostly women who decline to date those from the other party. In trying to sell women on this marry men who repulse you plan, the editorial board unconvincingly argues that simply being married makes people happier than being single. But while it may be true that married people, even those in politically mixed marriages, report higher levels 
levels of happiness than single people, it doesn't follow that the wedding ring is the reason. Most Americans marry for love, after all. Being married to someone you wanted to marry is very different than what is being suggested here. Lowering your standards just to get married. But of course, women's happiness is not actually the concern of the Washington Post editorial board. The more serious argument comes from their insistence that cross-political marriages will help save the nation from the Trump-era divisions and social ills stemming from men's misogyny. Basically, it's a gussied-up version of the classic Beauty and the Beast fantasy where a woman's love can turn the brute into a prince. It's cruel on its face to expect women to give up their own happiness in hopes they can turn a red hat into a better man through patience and love, but it's also a false hope. It's hard enough to get anyone to change their minds about politics. Trying to get men who already think women are inferior to listen to their liberal wives is a joke. And that's exactly right. Nobody wants to date somebody who thinks they're superior or thinks that you're inferior or who's overly superficial and hyper fixated on body counts or some dumb bullshit like that. It's weird and it's understandable that women would be turned off by that. So what's the solution then? Well, the solution isn't to shame women into dating conservatives. The solution is to teach young conservative men that they need to respect women and view them as equals and actually value them. And conservative men conservative influencers like Charlie Kirk in particular should in theory be instilling these values in them but instead they are teaching young men the opposite they are teaching them to be toxic and hate women and treat them like shit and speculate about their body counts and stuff like that and to the extent that conservatives do have an impact on culture, that impact is toxic, as we've seen. But I mean, at the end of the day, regardless if their hatred of Taylor Swift stems from her political or cultural influence or downright horniness, it's just really fucking stupid and weird. And if conservatives are wondering why they're struggling to maintain any cultural relevance, that's why. It's because you say things like that that make you look like fucking freaks. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.